I always look forward to being in the Word of God with you, knowing that the Holy Spirit meets us here in a unique way, uh, opening your hearts, ministering to your souls as we simply sit under the instruction of His Word, allow Him to speak to us through these things. So as we begin, I want to ask you some questions to help you um, think in the same track that I am. And they are these. What keeps you interested in food other than hunger? Other than hunger, what keeps you interested in food? I'd suggest that it's similar to what keeps you interested in books, right? What is it for books that keeps you interested? It's the, it's the hope of a, a good story, right? That's why you go to a book. It's why you, you listen to a recommendation from someone you trust. They say this is a good book. Well, I'm going to read it. We're, we're lured by the good story or by valuable information. For food, what is it? It's the lure of good taste, right? If it's not hunger, it's the lure of good taste. So we've all been kind of prompted to read a book out of curiosity because so-and-so said it was a great book. We, we believe that there are classics, right, in the world. The reason that they are called classics is because there's a lot of people that have good opinions of these books that have gone before us. And so they're classics. Books like Don Quixote, The Great Gatsby, Moby Dick, War and Peace, Hamlet, uh, Huck Finn, so forth. These are all considered to be classics. Why? Because a lot of people think they have valuable information in them or that they are, they are uh, a great story. That's why they're classics. A couple of books that have affected me are The Count of Monte Cristo and Robinson Crusoe. Those are two of my favorite secular books. But there are also other books that have actually changed my life. And they are these. Desiring God by John Piper. The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Uh, Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. Give Praise to God by Riken. The Glory of Christ by John Owen. A Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson. These are my favorite books, and the reason that I have greatly enjoyed them is because they've affected me deeply. They have actually changed the direction of my life. They are classics, in my view. Today, we're going to focus on verse 103 of Psalm 119. I think this verse, in fact, I think the entire chapter of Psalm 119 is a divine recommendation for the Bible. It's a divine encouragement to get into the Word, allow the Word to actually affect us. Verse 103 really is the author's attempt to woo God's people into reading God's Word. Verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is a recommendation from the author of this chapter to allow the Word of God to saturate your soul. And he does so by saying, listen, it is sweet. It is sweet. You'll love this. Try it. This is what I think is happening in this verse. If you haven't been convinced by our study of Psalm 119 sermon series, or maybe by even your personal experience of the supreme value of the Word of God, maybe today's verse will convince you of such. So let's, let's dive into this here 
and see what the Holy Spirit might have for us from this simple verse. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Do you know if the word of God is sweet to you? Do you know if you value it as much as obviously this author does? Let me ask you some questions. Do you share it? You share things that you enjoy, right? You, you want people to experience what you've experienced, so you share pictures, you, you share restaurants, you share book titles, because you have been convinced that they're worthwhile, and so you share them with your friends. Do you talk about it? Do you talk about the Word of God? If it's sweet to you, you'll talk about it, just like you talk about your favorite recipe. If you like it, do you study it? Do you read it? The answer to your questions will tell you whether or not you truly think the Word of God is sweet. So I want to explain to you, starting with this verse, 103, and then from other verses from Scripture, about the sweetness of God. And hopefully convince you, if you aren't already convinced, of its sweetness in fact. See, these, these verses uh, are going to, I think this verse, and the verses I'm going to share with this verse, uh, are a great argument for, or a persuasion to get you into the Word. Uh, so as we come to Psalm 119, 103, I've pictured it this way in my mind as I've studied and as I've prayed for you uh, as you're going to listen this morning, of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's kind of like the Savior knocking at the door of your heart saying, let me in. I want to show you something about myself. So here we are. With the book open, the Holy Spirit's promised presence, let's see if the Holy Spirit will meet us here in these words. I want to first begin with some thoughts on spiritual sweetness. If you're going to follow your outline, that's point number one, thoughts on spiritual weakness. And beginning with the existence of spiritual taste, the existence of spiritual taste. We know that physical taste exists, right? We have our favorites and not so favorite things. How about spiritual taste? Is there such a thing as spiritual taste? I want to convince you from the Word of God that this, in fact, exists. I think, in fact, the soul has taste similar to the body. The soul feels that certain things uh, are hurtful or helpful to its spiritual well-being. We get hints of this throughout Scripture, and one is found in Hebrews 5.14. But solid food, or I would say spiritual solid food, is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There is that, that existence of a spiritual sense that helps you determine what is good or not so good for your soul. I think there are three internal senses that we see in Scripture. We have five physical senses, right, in our human bodies. I think there's three at least spiritual senses spoken of in Scripture. And the first is this, seeing or spiritual sight. Every time it speaks of spiritual sight in the Bible, it's talking about this idea of faith. Spiritual sight is speaking directly about faith. In John chapter 8, Jesus said concerning Abraham, your father Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham, who lived 2,400 years before Christ, see Christ's day? It was by faith, wasn't it? He saw it by faith. He looked forward and says, yes, the Messiah is coming. I believe it. I can see him, see it on the horizon. It's just right there. It was a sight of faith. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, the author speaks of Moses in the same way. Thy faith, he, that is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did Moses see what is invisible? By faith. That's how he did it. Interestingly, people can see great works of God with their physical eyes, like creation, like in Old Testament days, the crossing of the Red Sea. They could see these amazing things. The ocean splits and they dry land. Or when Jesus fed the 5,000 out of nothing, out of thin air, they saw these things with their, with their physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes were closed to the reality of those things. That same thing happens today. People can walk outside at night, see the firmament of stars gloriously blazing before their eyes, and they just say, oh, this is a clear night. They don't see the glory of God. Their, their physical eyes see it, but their spiritual eyes are blind to it. So we have seeing or sight as an internal sense that we see of in Scripture. Secondly, we come across this idea of tasting in the, in the Scriptures. We know that something either tastes good or bad, and the same in the spiritual world. We can spiritually taste whether something is good or bad for our health. I just read that from, for you from uh, Hebrews. Now listen to Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see. There's two of them used there. Spiritually taste, spiritually see that the Lord is what? Good. There's actually a tasting and, and your spirit can tell. The Lord is good from your spiritual taste. And whether or not you recognize it, everyone experiences God's goodness. For example, everyone experiences God's blessing of the warmth of sun. Everyone experiences the refreshment of rain, the rejuvenation of rest, the, the life-giving air that we breathe. We all experience those things. But only God's children, the ones who've been regenerated by the Spirit, actually see those things as blessings from God. See them as actually God revealing his goodness to us, his people. The Bible also speaks of a sense called feeling. So there's seeing, tasting, and then feeling that we come across in Scripture. I think the Apostle Paul was trying to describe this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said that I may know him and know the power of his resurrection. What was he asking for? What was he wanting? A feeling of the power of grace. That is what Paul was after. He desired this feeling, a confirmation that grace was active in his soul, his life. So we have seeing by faith, tasting good from bad, and feeling the activity of the Spirit in our lives. These are demonstrations of these spiritual senses that I'm trying to convince you of. Let's look at the description of these spiritual senses or spiritual tastes. Charles Bridges tried to define spiritual taste in this way. It's an impression left upon our hearts, that is, spiritual taste, is an impression left upon our hearts which gives us the ability to relish and savor spiritual things. That's spiritual taste. Being able to relish something spiritual. It's an impression given to us by the Holy Spirit, given to us through the Word. Now let's look at the, the purpose here of spiritual tastes. And I think this falls under the heading of description. The purpose is threefold. 
The first is to discern good and wholesome things from bad and toxic things. That is one of the purposes of spiritual taste. Again, back to Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's the point of spiritual taste. To help you distinguish these things between what's good for you and what's not so good for you. God has given all animals, including humans, the ability to distinguish good from bad through taste. Uh, if you taste sour milk, you don't swallow readily. What's your reaction to sour milk in your mouth? You spit it out. You're, you're smart enough to know that this is not good for you, and so you spit it out, unless it's chocolate milk that I have just recently had a bout with. You know that it's almost impossible to taste ch sour chocolate milk? The, the chocolate overpowers the sourness. And so you're fooled. There's a spiritual lesson there too, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, don't go try this. I hear the, the murmuring in the crowd. It's got a, don't lose track of what I'm saying here. Anyways, our, our, our physical tastes protect us from harmful things. Guess what? Our spiritual tastes do the same thing. God has designed them to protect us from harmful things, dangerous spiritual things. He's granted this taste and this ability to taste to believers. Most believers, I think, can distinguish between spiritually healthy or unhealthy things. Even as spiritual infants, we can do this. You have a God-given sense, I believe, to distinguish between things that are deep and worthwhile and those things that are cheap and superficial. Unfortunately, if a person is only exposed to the cheap and superficial, they don't know what is good or better. They sit in churches year after year and get fed nothing but cotton candy and think it's wonderful. And then they're exposed to actually the deep, wholesome things of the Word and they go, where has this been all my life? That is not an uncommon occurrence. The deep and wholesome things are what we try to deliver to you so that you will grow strong in Christ. We do our best to stay away from spiritual cotton candy knowing that it does you no good. So the first purpose of spiritual taste is to give you discernment. Secondly, it's to refresh and comfort your soul. The Word of God is intended to refresh and comfort your soul. Have you experienced this, Christian friend? Refreshment, comfort from the Word of God? We have a podcast at this church called The Valley or Voice of the Valley. And the last month we've been interviewing people from Sun Valley Church as they have gone through hard, difficult, wrenching things. If you haven't listened to these, I, I wish you would. They are our own people, Sun Valley people, sharing with us how the Word of God sustained them through dark times. The Word of God is intended to refresh and comfort the soul. And it does that. If you've ever been in a dark time, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? If you don't know what I'm talking about, either you don't have the Spirit of God in you or you haven't been in a dark enough time. <laughs> the Word of God refreshes and comforts. 
being reminded of God's great love for us comforts us, doesn't it? Especially right after you have sinned and been convicted of it. To be reminded of the goodness and grace and free pardon of God, is that not comfort to your soul? By the way, which is one reason we remind you of it every single week here at Sun Valley, God's pardon is full and free and refreshing. Come, drink from the fountain, we're asking. This is one of the purposes of, discern, of the spiritual taste. It, it, it's to discern good from evil or good from bad, to refresh and comfort. And then here, the last one I have to share with you is to keep grace alive and growing. This is one of the reasons God has given you spiritual taste, to keep grace alive, to keep grace growing in you. Let me explain how this works, starting with reading for you 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, it's just like newborn infants, Peter's saying, they long for the pure spiritual milk. They, I mean, those babies long for their mother's milk. You, just like them, long for spiritual milk. Why? So that you may grow up into salvation, so that you may grow in grace. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord's good, Newborn mammals all have this natural instinct to crave their mother's milk. If, you, if you've had a cat or a dog uh, have a litter, these little blind animals crawl around and they naturally are drawn to their mother's milk. This is exactly how it happens for people that come to Christ. They naturally are drawn to spirit, pure spiritual milk that they might be fed. This is the main reason that we have this spiritual taste to keep grace alive and growing. So we have the purpose of spiritual taste. Now let's look at the requirements of spiritual taste. What is required of spiritual taste or for spiritual taste? The first is obvious, and I may not even need to say it, but I'm going to anyways because I think it is so obvious. You have to put it in your mouth. If you're going to taste something, it has to enter where the taste buds are, in your mouth. Otherwise, you will never know. But you must take it into your mouth. To sense the sweetness of God's word, you must take it in. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah describe this in chapter 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight in my heart. What happened first? The joy and delight or the eating? The eating. He ate and then he discovered how joyful and delightful they were. The first thing is eating. That's the requirement. You have to eat it. Secondly, we must have a spiritual palate. If you don't have a spiritual palate, if you don't have any taste buds in your mouth, it'll go down without impressing you. But to get the full benefit of the word of God, you must have a spiritual palate and develop the spiritual palate. And of course, the spiritual palate comes from something the Holy Spirit gives to each and every believer at regeneration. When you come to Christ by faith, you are given spiritual hunger, you're given a spiritual palate. And you develop this palate over your Christian experience. So the Holy Spirit does his regenerating work. You begin to sense your need for 
spiritual milk. You begin to sense what is good and what is not so good for your spiritual life. But once this new life has been breathed into your soul, there comes with that life a supernatural desire for spiritual nourishment. You pursue it. It becomes important to you. You can taste the sweetness of it. Let me remind you, more experienced saints who may have forgotten or at least reviewed lately how this happened to you. Many of you have been in Christ a long time and we don't often enough return to the day of accepting Christ and remind ourselves of that wonderful day. I want to do that for you right now. The first time that the Word of God took on a sweet taste to your spiritual palate was when you discovered that you were guilty before a holy God, but at the same time heard the good news that he forgives sins. Do you remember that? What a wonderful day that was. How sweet was the Word of God that day when you heard that Christ died for sinners? How wonderful was it that day when you heard that there is now no condemnation if you're in Christ? Your sins are taken care of. Do you remember those sweet days? Do you remember that sweet word? Do you remember how the word of God became preciously sweet to your taste? Oh, my friends, this is what I'm talking about. This is what the Holy Spirit of God gives us. He gives us that spiritual palate, that desire for spiritual truths going over our spiritual taste buds so that we can rejoice in the sweetness of God found in his word. The next requirement that we must apply to our spiritual taste besides taking it into our mouth and, and having and developing a spiritual palate, and I think these all three are connected by the way, but we must kill worldly affections. We must take care of sin that comes at us from all angles. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, there's two different ways you can approach life. You can either approach it according to the Spirit, according to the things that would please God and benefit you, or the other. You can approach it from a worldly perspective. Living for yourself, following your own agenda. If you do that, according to Romans 8, it deadens your spiritual taste buds. It affects your walk with Christ if you decide to live by the flesh. And the more we live by the flesh, the more it affects the sweetness of the taste of God's Word. The more you, you give in to the life of flesh, to that, that worldly agenda, the less sweet the Word of God tastes to your soul. And, of course, the opposite is true. The more you resist the devil, the more you resist sin, the sweeter God's word tastes to your soul. So we need to fill our minds with the things of God and resist the things of the world. We must kill worldly affections. So all that to just say that there is such a thing as spiritual taste, spiritual senses. You have them. I have them. We receive them at spiritual birth. Now let's look at the sweetness of the Word of God as it relates directly to verse 103. So we're getting directly connected now to Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Do you realize that, I'm sure you do, a lack of appetite makes the best food unattractive? Sherry and I like the Outback Steakhouse. They've got a basic problem. Is that because you guys don't think that's a good steakhouse? Am I going to the wrong steakhouse? It's a good steakhouse. Sherry and I like that steakhouse. Anyways, we go there and we enjoy a wonderful meal, at least that we think is a wonderful meal. And then the geniuses come up and say, would you like dessert after you're full? I mean, they should ask that question before you eat all this food. They should come out and say, hey, how about some chocolate cake? And when you're hungry, you would say, that sounds pretty good. But after you're full, it doesn't, it's not nearly as attractive. And you think, ah, you're full of baloney. Well, listen to what the Bible says about my comments. One who is full loathes honey. But the one who is hungry, everything is, that is bitter is sweet. This is why uh, your meals on your hunting trips taste good. They're actually pretty bad. I don't know if you men know this. But hunting food is bad. It's not really good, and you know it. The only reason it tastes good is because you're famished. This is the same thing that happens in the mind of the spiritual man or woman. All right? The, the slightest appetite, appetite draws us when we are hungry, when, when we're in need of a word from the Lord. That, that word sounds good, it tastes good, it's sweet to the soul. This is the point of Psalm 119. It is a sweet wooing from the inspired author, the human author of the Word of God to say, come taste, come see for yourself of the goodness of God's Word. This is so important is there any sweeter spiritual food than when Jesus said this in John 19.30? It is finished. Is that sweet to anybody's soul? Hey, sinner, is that sweet to your soul? It's finished. There's nothing left for you to do. <laughs> it's over. God has done all the work. What wonderful words those are to our ears. How about these words, child of God? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if you'll just believe, you won't perish, but what? Have eternal life, everlasting life. I bet that's on your sweet list. Can a weary soul hear these words from Jesus in Matthew 11 and not run to them? Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me if you're tired. And I'll give you rest. Doesn't that draw you to Christ? Doesn't that want you to, I mean, motivate you to be with him? To read more of him? To have more of him? It does if the Spirit of God has done any work in your soul. And then one of the verses I began with this morning, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. I think these words might even melt 
and thaw the coldest place in your soul. Our Savior standing at the door and asking to come in. I acknowledge that there are times in our spiritual lives, maybe that time is right now for you, that the Word of God loses its sweetness, loses its savor. And you wonder why. I want to clearly communicate to you that it's not because of any lack in the Word of God. There's only one possible reason that the Word of God loses its sweetness, and it's that you've lost your spiritual taste. You've not nurtured it. You've not fed it. This leads me to developing the appetite for the Word. Do you want that kind of sweetness passing over your spiritual taste buds? Then do this. Fight sin. Psalm 119.11, I have hid your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. The word of God in your heart, in your mind, keeps you from sin. And then what do we do with this? If we're fighting sin, we confess it. We simply go to the one who already knows we sin, who has promised pardon, and acknowledge those things to him. Keep short accounts with God. Go to him and confess your sin. This is what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2. And by the way, he connects confession, admitting of sin, he connects it directly to your spiritual taste. Listen, 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Confess those things. Get rid of them. Why? So that like newborn infants, you'll long for the pure spiritual milk. They're connected. You want to grow that, those sweet taste buds in your spiritual mouth? Fight sin and confess it. And those things will start to grow. And of course, eat. Eat as much as you possibly can. Eat more than you can. That's the wonderful thing about spiritual food. It never fills you up. You're always hungry. You always want more. And it always tastes good. And it always satisfied, but you still want more. If you could figure out that in this physical world, you'd be a millionaire. What a blessing that is from God. No matter how much we eat, no matter how much we satisfy, the more we want. So do you want to develop your spiritual taste buds? Do you want to develop that sweetness of the Word of God? Fight sin, confess it, and eat of the Word. And I think this developing your spiritual appetite is one of the central points of this wonderful chapter we're in, Psalm 119. You know there's 22 stanzas in this psalm. You want to know something? This psalm gives 22 reasons why you ought to have the Word of God saturating your soul. Each stanza brings a different argument to the table on why the Word of God ought to be pouring over your soul. You may have been thinking along with me that so much of the Word is simply a reflection of the author of the Word, the God of the Word. The Holy Spirit 
inspired men of God to write the word of God for the people of God. So the author of this book is not the human author. It's ultimately the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God's primary role as it relates to our, us as human beings is what? To glorify Christ. So this word is filled with Jesus Christ. The author of this word, the Holy Spirit, wrote and, and highlighted and glorified and emphasized Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. That's what this book is about. It's about Jesus. And so we come now to our third point, the sweetness of God, the word. The reason that the word of God is sweet is because Jesus is sweet. Our study sermon series in the book of Hebrews was about convincing you of the sweetness of Christ, treasuring Christ above all else in your life. This, I think, verse 103, more than any other verse in Psalm 119, helps us to see Jesus. Your word is sweet to my taste. Why? Because Jesus is sweet to my taste. Listen to what Jesus said about this that I'm suggesting to you about Jesus being on every page. In John 5:39, speaking to unbelieving Jews, he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And those scriptures bear witness about me. Jesus said the word of God, the scriptures, were written about him. Do you remember on the way to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, those two discouraged, depressed disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about eight miles, and Jesus walks up beside them. They didn't recognize him. You remember what happened there? Listen, I'll tell you what happened. Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses, that is the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Beginning there, and then covering all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus believed that all the Old Testament was about him. From Genesis to Malachi. We know the New Testament is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the testament of Jesus Christ, right? And then all the rest is a commentary on that in the New Testament. But Jesus said, the Old Testament is about me also. See, the Bible reveals God to us. And God, of course, the author of this sweet word is the fountain of sweetness himself. So these pages reveal the sweet one to us, the one who loves you. The one who is infinitely beautiful, who is infinitely wise, who is infinitely powerful. He is revealed to us here on these pages. And it's here on these pages where we not only learn of Christ and his work for us on Calvary, but we, we learn also how to commune with him. So not only are these pages revealing to us the, the details, the X's and O's of coming to Christ, but these, these, page, these pages, the words on these pages Help us actually have a friendship with Christ, communion with Christ. And of course, you know that in order to commune with each other, what do we have to do? 
We have to spend time together. And when you spend time together, you grow in love with one another. The same thing is true with Christ. Do you want to commune with Christ? Do you want to love him more? Do you want to experience the sweetness of this God and Savior more? You must get to know him. You must spend time with him. And he reveals himself here in the pages of this book. Let me read for you some words that might encourage this in your heart. If the Song of Solomon is about Christ's relationship to his bride, which most of the Puritans believed, listen to these words from the bride to her bridegroom. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Speaking of Christ, your name is oil poured out. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul said, But thanks be to God who is in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The fragrance of Christ. How sweet is that? Jesus saying in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, that is Christ, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How does that happen? He's sweet to you. That's the only thing that causes inexpressible joy is a deep sweetness. So how do you develop your love for Jesus? I've talked to you about developing your love for his word. How about a love for Jesus? I want to, I'm going to spend a little time here. I, I took too much time on this in the first service, but I'm going to just refer you to Psalm 103. Ask you if you want to look at that. There the psalmist says, uh, I'm not going to forget his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. That's always struck me as odd. Because what is Christ besides his benefits? Evidently the author of Psalm 103 thinks there's a lot more besides his benefits. But let's just start with his benefits. In what ways has Christ benefited you? You want to develop a love for somebody? In what ways have they benefited you? All right? You say, that's a selfish love. Well, that's where we're starting. We're not going to end there. But in what ways has Christ benefited you, sinner? You know the answers to that question? And they're a long list, aren't they? They are indeed. Look at his person. Look at his work. Compare Jesus to the world. The world's always trying to distract you with things from Jesus. Okay, let's just have it out. Bring out the best, world. What do you got? Now let's compare it to Jesus. Go ahead. The best thing the world has offered you in your long or short life, compare it to Jesus. Is there competition? Develop your love for Jesus. Look at his benefits. Look at his person and work. Compare him to the world. Compare him to the competition. Your love for Jesus will grow. Let's conclude with spreading the sweetness of both, both the Word of God and God the Word. What do you do when you have a great recipe, ladies? You... you take pictures of it, you post it on Instagram, you share on Facebook and email, and everybody's, this is the greatest recipe known to man. 
or woman. Right? That's what you do. You, you, you spread it. It's the same way with anything that we really value. We, we spread it. We, if it's a good book, you got to read this book. If, if it's a good restaurant, you got to go to this restaurant. In fact, I bet. What is it? That restaurant I referred to, can you remember what it was? Outback Steakhouse is going to get more business this week because of this sermon. If something is good to you, you share it. If you, if you like a sunset, you take a picture of it and share it. So how do we spread the sweetness of God and his word? You share it. And that's what your response should be. If Jesus is all that we say he is, we will share it, share him, won't we? We will. Listen to how Jeremiah mentioned this in chapter 20 of his book. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more of his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I can't help but speak of Jesus and all that he has done for me. Back to 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, what's he do? What's he do for those of us who are in Christ? He spreads through us the fragrance and knowledge of Christ. That's what he does through us. You know, you know, I just don't know what God's will is for me. I just read it to you. It's to spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere. That is God's will for you. He, God doesn't care if you do that at your job here or your job there. He doesn't care if you live there, here or there. Whatever you're going to do, spread the fragrance of Christ. That's God's will. All the rest is secondary. And I would say immaterial. So how do you develop this aroma of Christ, friend? How, how do you develop a love for the word? How do you develop a love for Jesus how can you become more of a fragrance of him to your world? Listen, know him. That's where you begin. Know Jesus. Like Paul in Philippians 3. Oh, I want to know the power of his resurrection and his suffering. I want to be familiar with that. I want to know Christ more than anything. He's greater than anything. I've given up everything for Christ. Know Christ. If you want to be a fragrance for Christ, you must know him. And then, of course, secondly, you must know his word. This is where Christ is discovered. Third, developing an aroma for Christ besides knowing him, knowing his word, I think you need to know your friends. Do you actually know them? I mean, are you actually a good friend of that person that you're thinking of right now? Do you know them? Well enough to know how Jesus would meet their need? Do you know how you could actually introduce Jesus to them so that it's not such an objection and more of an aroma, a fragrance? Do you know how to get into the soul of your friend? And then, of course, finally, pray for your friends. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your family. 
You want to be the aroma of Christ to them? You need to know Christ. You need to know his word. You need to know your friends, and you need to pray for them. Let's pray now. God, we don't treasure you as much as we should. You're not as sweet to our taste as you ought to be. So many times we are more attracted by the false sweetness of the world. And for that, we confess our sin. But God, in your spirit, I pray that you would draw our hearts to the, the lovely one, the sweet one in Christ, our Savior, revealed in his word. I pray that we would be committed to seeking Christ here on the pages of Scripture. Well, God, have this mercy on us that we might know Christ, that we might be in fellowship and communion with him on a daily basis so that we would be able to take that fragrance of Jesus and spread it to the world in which we live. God, help us see the world through Jesus' eyes that we might see their need for Christ, that we might know how we could present him to them. Help us love our friends well. God, give us a, a deep, deep love for Christ and a, and a savor of him so that we would be motivated and joyful to share him. And I pray this in his name. Amen.